0: Episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. At Seth, Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi.
1: Hi, and apparently we're getting close to vacation time because Ken can't talk, so <laughs> yeah, just, just get over it, right? We're um, really excited to have everyone back this week. We've got Guy from Sneak, um, and we'll jump into that shortly. Uh, there's just a, a a couple of announcements. Uh, Ken and I will be at DevSecOps Days in Austin uh, in a couple weeks, right? And then I, I will actually also be at CactusCon uh, the end of next week. Uh, actually not speaking. I'm just going to be there. So if people are around, let me know. I'd, I'd love to, you know, see podcast listeners or whatever, right? You know, just just talk as general. Um, there was one other announcement. Um, I The... Uh, hands-on um, code review workshop got picked up for b San Francisco. That's going to be a little different than the course that Ken and I have been teaching. That's the full, like, secure code review methodology course. This is going to be more, hey, everybody bring an open source project and let's use the mes- methodology on it. So it should be an interesting uh, experiment in finding bugs in open source applications. Um, I think that's everything I've got on my list, Ken. Is there other stuff that you wanted to review before we get into... Sneak and guy and all things vulnerability finding, I guess.
0: No, no, just that if anybody has anything they want us to specifically cover at uh, cover live at DevSecOps DevSec stays. Man, I really can't speak today. Um, at uh, I think that's December 16th. If you want us, if there's anything you want us to cover live at that event, um, just let us know if you have any questions you want us to ask the organizers. Or any of the speakers, just uh, hit us up at absoluteabsec at gmail.com. Again, that's absoluteabsec at gmail.com. That's it.
1: Cool. Yeah, I know we've got to kind of put together. We got 45 minutes there um, in the middle of the day. So it should be an interesting, also an interesting experiment on trying to run something live in the middle of a conference and streaming at the same time. So please bear with us, I guess, is all that we can say there. Yeah,
0: yeah, pretty much. So, I guess with that, I'll introduce Guy. And uh, so, uh, please tell me if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, but as you've seen, I can't speak it anyway. So, it's is it Guy Pojarni?
2: Guy Pojarni, yeah. Or I go by Guy Bo as well. It's kind of easier to
0: pronounce. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, I, well, so thank you for joining us on the show. Um, if you don't know Guy, Guy is the founder of Sneak and he wrote. Uh, an o- I think it's an O'Reilly book on securing open source applications. And it was, it, it went in depth on um, how you deal with like specifically uh, pulling in packages into your applications and how, you know, the different challenges of like securing um, libraries that are maybe included in you know, three or four different ways, meaning like it's a sub dependency of another dependency and like, how do you alert on that? And like all kinds of like in-depth uh, in, in depth granular information on package uh, open source, like securing open source uh, libraries, essentially. Um, he's also spoken at a number of, I mean, a lot of conferences. I think you're all over YouTube. I've seen like a ton of uh, ton of your um, interviews on, on YouTube. So guy is super familiar with, um, we're going to talk about his background. <clears throat> Super familiar with um, open source security, or, or really involved in it. So, um, again, thanks for joining us, guy. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So, I was gonna, I was gonna start sort of asking about your your background because you have a really interesting background. You started at, like I there's you can probably talk about it, but I did see that you were uh, you started off, or at least you you were. Uh, working in IDF intelligence, which I thought was fascinating, first of all. Um, I know later you became, uh, you basically were the chief architect at WatchFire, which looks like it was uh, acquired by um, yeah. IBM. Yeah. Excuse me. Um and so you actually were part of the product management for appscan which again is another fascinating area so let's just start yeah. there like a little bit about your background and and these really interesting things that we've cuz we've talked about appscan a bunch on this this podcast so uh, yeah. and, and like you know pos- positive uh and negative um uh, you know the good and the bad so yeah. yeah
2: there's a pros and cons sure so i can i can kind of do the rundown so yeah, I kind of started, uh, you know, beyond you know the the occasional hacking, uh, you know, recreational, you know, in in high school. I started in the sort of the cyber parts of the Israeli army, uh, and spent about uh, four and a half years uh, in the army, which is um, in in Israel, uh, in, in IDF. Yeah, sort of not the, like the Israeli. Uh, um, in in Israel, the the IDF kind of serves a whole bunch of purposes beyond. You know from a from a career perspective you know of course it's sort of a defense function uh which is you know one is curation so it sort of figures out it it finds people that are um you know very well suited to the job at hand you know and uh specifically that's true for the cyber parts as well and and just sort of curates like imagine a, an employer that has all these 16 year olds in the country you know at their disposal for a couple of years and sort of find the people that uh that they think are best suited and then you have to sign up for a year and a half so there is a voluntary Uh, element above and beyond the three-year mandatory service so it kind of works as a as a filter and then like educational entity because you go into these like intense uh, I don't know if this was discussed in the in the show I'm sure you've had some uh, some alumni over here but you know there's this six-month course where you study from 8 a.m. to midnight for uh, for six months and uh, it's a pretty intense course um, with a lot of smart people around so build those out and then when you come out of the army uh it acts as a kind of like the like the ivy leagues in the uh in the us you know it acts as a a kind of as a network right because you you get out of the army but then you know a couple of these other folks that worked with you for a couple of years in the army you know they got out a couple of years before you right so they work at some company and they want to pull you in so it sort of creates this network um so so i got out of the army into into uh, uh one of the early sort of AppSec players, Sanctum actually before Watchfire, so okay. Sanctum is really where, yeah. where AppScan was was created, and I, I got pulled in. It had a good number of sort of people that worked that came from where I was and uh and got pulled in, and I uh, didn't quite know AppSec kind of at the time, and that was my first culture. Uh, and you know, funny enough, like AppScan, you talk about it. I don't know if uh, it was shared, but uh, AppScan was actually a sales tool. Uh, really what we built was AppShield. We built the first well, firewall, and, and we we're trying to convince right. people that they should care, right, that SQL injection is a thing, you know, that they, <laughs> that they have it. And so, uh, so we built this, like, a two-part system. AppScan was originally these two Linux system uh, connectors, uh, an importer and exporter. It was, uh, it was complicated. Uh, that was really a sales tool. It was to basically go through, and there was this, like, a semi-gray area sales uh, methodology that we had there, which is, uh, hey, I'll give you a free audit, if you give me like a sea levels sort of meeting after and then you'd find problems and you know you'd sort of engage in the uh, um, so anyways, long story short you know as time evolves, people said well like this web of firewall thing it's complicated and all that PCI kind of revived it later um, but this app scan thing like this automated scanner thing that's pretty cool you know can I buy that uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it evolved uh, it evolved from there so I helped uh, I kind of came in to work on app shield at first and then kind of went on to to uh, uh to work on AppScan, um and then I moved to uh, to Canada. Watchfire acquired Sanctum, so I moved uh to uh, from Israel to to Ottawa, Canada, which I couldn't place on a map really at the time. Uh, and uh um and worked on AppScan, created AppScan Enterprise, which is an enterprise flavor of it. Uh and uh started working on a static analysis engine, AppScan Developer Edition, which we called it at the time. Uh and then IBM acquired us. Uh, So continue working on AppScan Developer Edition within IBM. And I was the product manager for, like first I wasn't the developer, but at some point I took on uh, being the product manager of AppScan uh, and uh, and AppScan Enterprise, uh, and and later AppScan Developer Edition. Then we bought Ounce Labs. um, So uh, so we built AppScan, Like it got renamed AppScan Source, Uh, and that's the product out there today. So sort of had this like nine-ish years journey. In early days of AppSec, and um, it, it was it was really interesting. It was fascinating. You know, I've got like a dozen patents in static analysis. You know, I kind of went deep into this uh, into this space. You know, we did like it was white box and black box and glass box testing versus like SAST, IEST, you know, type of terminology, partner yeah. terms today. Um, and uh, and we built those out, and 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 really, like I would say, we succeeded financially with. Uh, from a from like by selling to security individuals. Uh but where we didn't succeed is uh we had this this sort of premise or this aspiration even back then to to get developers to embrace security. Um you know it was called like you know, I I ran Appscan kind of developer edition it had developer in the name right it was sort of a, a you know it, it ran in an Eclipse and it touched source code you know surely it must be a developer product uh except it wasn't you know it was an audit product that was you know happened to be built into a developer environment we we never really had conversations about sort of, you know, developer use case quite as much. Um, and that, that learning kind of came on later when we talked to, uh, talk about Snyk. Um, but, but, you know, we did succeed sort of financially and also like Rational bought us, you know, in IBM it was Rational, a developer tool uh, yep. that, that bought us. So that was kind of my AppSec uh, stretch. Uh, and then I, I left security, you know, which is I, I guess not that common. Um, and I left IBM to found a web performance startup called Blaze, uh, which uh, kind of my thinking at the time, you know, if it's interesting, is, is is it was, you know, I I just came from this world of security where like network security was was being a little bit commoditized. It's always complete, continues sure. to yeah. complicated. But appsec was really where the attacks were happening, and this new nascent notion. So things were moving. Security was moving to the application layer. And I came out there saying, well, where else is this transition from network to application happening and kind of landed on performance and said, well, like in performance, you know, network performance is important and continues to be important. But really, the bottleneck is kind of moving to application performance So your website you know, like how you organize your JavaScript and encode your images matters more to your performance than, you know, another sort of, you know, 50 milliseconds of latency. And so, um, so built a a company kind of coined this term of front-end optimization, fail, which is ugly in Spanish, which I had an issue with, but and it was we we stuck with mm-hmm. it. Um, and uh, and Akamai acquired us, uh, and I became CTO for the web business in Akamai. So about half of Akamai uh, for about three and a half years, and moved with did you move to that to London. I'll pause a second. You know, I don't know if there's any.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Did you move? Did you move? Uh, Sorry, did you say you moved for for the Akamai? From, uh,
2: yeah, I moved from Ottawa to London, UK. So that's okay. right. Yeah. And this is, you know, I moved to Ottawa for a year. Right? I stayed for 10.
1: Otherwise,
0: so. though. <laughs>
1: yeah, that, that's usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. I didn't uh, know
0: that, by the way, that AppScan was originally a, uh, that, that's fascinating. I had no idea that it was originally a sales tool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's one of those discussions that, that you end up having inside of a company that you never know. Really, what your customers are going to want? You have an idea, but yeah. until you get into it, it becomes yeah. Yeah,
2: let and them tell you. JavaScript kind of killed uh, like App Shield, the web app firewall was killed was was, was created on the premise of uh, this like cookie signature thing that tracks everything on the web page and basically only allows you to perform the actions that were on that web page back. And then JavaScript just sort of killed that vision. You know, <laughs> you know. Uh, 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 yeah, there, there was yeah. no uh, you know, opportunity for that to happen. So it took a few years for that sort of realization to sink in. But in the meantime, the AppScan business uh, kind of took off. So. You,
0: you make a good point that I feel like it, the, the, the WAF business has be, been reinvigorated over the last few years. Um, but yeah, it was pretty much dead for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. Just pretty it's, much it's scored 6. by... What's that?
2: Until Section 6.6 6 in PCI came along.
0: <laughs>
2: so it seems
1: like that, yeah, that had a large effect on the industry overall, right? You know, we start talking about, oh, static analysis tools became huge as well because, oh, we can do a WAF or we can do static analysis, right? Those, those were the two options. So,
2: so it was a, uh, it was an interesting time, you know, and the, uh, and I think, I think today, you know, WAFs are there's something kind of fundamentally incorrect about the idea that you can take an application and then put an intelligent kind of layer of protection that is outside the application. So, like, I think there's, there, not to say there isn't value in it, but there's some inherent, like, uh, flaws, you know, with, with that approach. Um, and, you know, the, the the more modern approach of RASP of sort of, you know, like, protecting yeah. those applications from inside, you know, has its own challenges and, you know, it's not, it's not without its flaws, but but at least at least it kind of brings it inside the app uh which is uh where it is so with the WAF what we've what we've observed over the years and I think that is still the case as I see it today is really you know it, it's a nice checkbox item you know and you can block the uh the very obvious kind of patterns uh but then tuning it to your app is just really really difficult uh and then you know oh so many people buy super fancy technology and then turn on the very minimum basics of it uh versus uh versus truly maximizing it and uh or leave it in like alert mode versus protect mode, and you know. So the uh, yeah,
1: I, yeah. I, I mean, I always laugh. I was having a discussion recently. With, I don't, was that on the podcast about like AWS's WAF, right? And how many China times is. I've seen it? I've seen it implemented, and the only thing it does is detects whether or not the IP address, like the source IP, is coming from Russia and China, and that's it. Right? They don't yeah. actually enable XSS protections or anything yeah. built into the WAF. It's like the bare minimum. Yes, we have WAF. It's a compliance check.
0: Exactly. That's the ball. If uh, you have a WAF and <laughs> yeah. if you have a WAF and and not a CSP, there's something completely out of whack there.
1: You know? yeah. yeah.
0: But um, uh, so I was curious. What was the driving force for you to found Sneak? Like, what was kind of the impetus there for that?
2: Um. So it's kind of you know, two versions of you know, like one is just, you know, I kind of got the H to do another startup. So after about three and a half years at, at Akamai, which I really enjoyed, but I, you know, I was uh my, my first decision was to sort of, you know, I'm gonna found another thing and um, um I was gonna take A Roth and that didn't happen. You know, I just kinda got sucked into uh, <laughs> uh to the middle and said, okay, like I'm I'm founding another startup. Uh and then as I dug through ideas, um really for me, um sneak was the combination of of my two journeys in the in in the appsec world we wanted to get to developers and we we, we failed on that front and again we succeeded in a bunch of things but we failed to get developers and then what happened in the world of performance is uh, i've been a part of the velocity programming committee which is kind of where devops came to be you know with the original um you know all spa and then some non spa you know saying, I forget what it was, you know, that they deploy like 10 times a day and everybody was like, ah, that's an abomination!" you know, so irresponsible. Nobody would ever do that. Uh, and, uh, and you know, I think Amazon, when they said they do it 40 times a day. And there's been a lot of, of kind of that part, you know, the world of performance that I was in was one of the early ones to be disrupted by this sort of developer tool motion, sort of this DevOps motion with uh, Gomez and Keynote falling by the wayside in favor of like New Relic and, uh, and AppDynamics, and so, and even even at Akamai, I was I was competing with with Fastly, which, it, it like at the time, you know, today I think the stats are different, but like at the time, it was like a CDN that was obviously not as fast, not as secure, not as reliable, you know, and and yet like people were using it and by the droves. It's like why why are you doing that? And and it really came down to this notion that it was it was working the way they wanted to work, you know, like Fastly. Was just attuned itself to their use case, and and so coming up with those two views, my my you know I don't know if it's like realization, uh, you know, or the eureka moment was really on on saying, well, we want to get developers to embrace security. We need to build a developer tooling company, not a security tooling company. We need to think about the developer as the most important user of the product, uh, and we need to model after developer tools, like it needs to look like the other tools developers use, and and so, really, snake was was the was that you know it was even before we decided what we do you know like what is the specific security solution uh, we'll tackle it was it was clear that it'll be a developer tooling company in, in its approach and then you know we picked uh, sort of this notion of open source security SEA you know securing open source libraries as the as the as the initial kind of core tenant we've since expanded to container security and and you know we'll we'll do more. But but really, you know, it was because that was, you know, a specific problem that felt like it was it was underserved, and we needed more capabilities. But also felt like it was one where we had a thesis to how do we build a product that was developer focused, and 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 we've done like if I if I slip a little bit into like the early days, you know, we 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 made a bunch of these decisions that were not the best commercial decisions at the beginning, uh, but were the right ones from a user experience. So like we picked. We built a, a product that was only for Node.js, you know, only for that ecosystem, and and that you know really tuned us. You know, we we shipped a like a, a crappy little uh, uh, CLI about a month after incorporation. It was beta; nobody was paying for it, but we you know we iterated on it and we figured out the you know we worked closely with that community. It was a sort of a community we figured was like Heroku and uh, and um, and uh, like New Relic. You know, they thrived on Ruby. You know, Ruby was at the time. We felt Node was was at the right time. So like small enough to sort of embed in, but big enough to care. And and we built this product that was really Node.js. And then we learned, you know, experiencing with the CLI that people really needed it to be easier to onboard. So we built the GitHub integration, which which has like some some funky tech behind it that wasn't obvious. Like we're able to build a dependency graph based on like a on a package JSON file that we find. You know, we're able to build the dependency graph without building the app uh, today there's log files a few things have been made a little bit easier uh, but that was hard like mimicking these things is is tricky and and we we built you know a, the whole company was designed after like you know the new relics of the world and, and those and and so we that was a part of it and we built this like bottom up you know free for open source you know very kind of uh, good motion and i think what happened was we nailed the sort of the developer experience and then we got to security people uh, and they said, oh, this is awesome. Can you also do this for? Uh, and, you know, Java, you know, this other Git server. And it took us another year, you know, from the time we nailed the developer experience to the time that we had something that security was truly in you know, a reasonable volume willing to purchase because they wanted that breadth. But I think if we hadn't taken that path, we would, we would have done what, what typically happens, which is, you know, build a shallow and broad product because legitimately security teams need governance, but it doesn't help you much if i if I solve this security problem for like twenty percent of your applications. you know I need to solve it to some you know large percentage of them for it to matter. So there's all this incentive to go broad and not as deep. And I think our the the decision we made with like a little bit dogmatic, you know like you no, know, this is going to be a developer tooling company, not a security company. Helped us kind of unlock something, uh, which, you know, fortunately we, we came out the other side. You know, a lot of dev tools die without monetization abilities, you know, yeah. so we can't decide and we're thriving now. Uh,
0: but um, so, you know. so it's interesting because the developer market is much, well, there's a couple of factors, but the developer market is bigger, obviously, than security because the AppSec, I mean, try, try hiring AppSec people. It's clear that there's a shortage. But yeah. there's a, so that's a big community, but also uh, if developers are, pushing for your product and using your product first, then you like, you definitely have a leg up getting into the security side. Cause it's like, well, people are already using this. And like, I don't have to convince my developers it's just they're convincing me. Like it's, you know, they're using it. So that's an interesting approach. Um,
1: well, and I, on that point, you know, Ken, I, like I think about like the app scan, even the source edition and uh, like, um, fortify and the other static analysis tools and it's always taken the other approach like you were saying right like hey we're we're targeting finding security vulnerabilities and now we're going to shim that into the IDE and so the developers it's not within their workflow and even within like the CI/CD pipelines the amount of time it takes to run one of those tools just kills any effectiveness from a hey i'm going to release 10 30 40 times a day because i it would if i was running fortify 30 times a day it means I'm not going to release until next week, right? It, that's just, yeah, yeah, that's the nature of those tools. So so it's an interesting approach. Sorry, Ken, I kind of interrupted what you were saying.
0: No, no, it's, I mean, that's pretty much, uh, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, like, you know, if if, if developers are using it, then it's just, it's less friction from security. But I did, I mean, I had one specific question because in, in hearing your your um, your journey and your multiple sort of, Entrepreneurial uh, pursuits. One thing that I've been curious about is because, and let me let me just say, you know, in terms of like take money out of the equation, right? Because like frankly, you can you can become you can join up with a company early enough, not have the responsibility of a founder, and do pretty well like that. So you know, the, the money thing, if if you, it's it's to me, I, I know in this especially in the security space, that's less of a um, incentive. So the question becomes, what's your incentive to to be an entrepreneur, to found multiple companies, to go through that hardship where you're, you know, sometimes super high anxiety levels, uh, you're working to the bone at times, you know, you're you're constantly out there trying to um, promote the company, you know, like th- it's a lot. Basically, what I'm saying is, you can do a lot less work and still have a decent living. So, what's the drive for you to do this?
2: No, it's a good question. It doesn't have, I mean, there's a, it's almost like this, you know, what mental deficiency do you have, you know, to uh, like like my, my interpretation, you know, it's a, it's definitely a, a decision that comes with, with weight. It's never been about the money, you know, I think the, um, right. it it wasn't about the money in blaze, but then, you know, the acquisition with Akamai kind of sorted me out, you know, I don't need to work and I, and, and yet not working has never really crossed my mind. Now part of it is just the way I'm wired, um, I think money in our in our world kind of serves as a barometer of success, right? So you sort of aspire to success and, you know, like it or not, kind of in our world a little bit, the sort of, you know, the value of your company and the size of your business is uh, is an aspect of that. And you know, we try not to just over-rotate that. You know, we focus on, you know, users and successful users of that. And, you know, but uh, but a barometer of success, it's never really been about the money. To me, it's about, um uh uh, it's about impact. It's about kind of making your dent in the universe. Um, and so, um, you know, like I have these conversations and I've got a, a couple of kids, you know, and I have, uh, uh, especially my son has been very inquisitive about this uh, uh, bid and, and you know, there's always a guilt trip. There's like a, um, you know, but like, but why do you work so hard? You know, don't you, well, you have kids. Like he even said that to me when I was sort of, uh, um, uh, I think this is like, four years ago so like when you started the company did you know it's going to be so hard so yeah i knew it so why did you do it you have kids you know <laughs> so it's like a guilt drive. but to me it's about self-fulfillment right it's about you know what is it that you want to do with sort of your time on this planet um and and the answer to that is very different for different people um and and i i have this um uh, have the sort of desire to sort of have greater and greater impact uh and and so some of that impact is sort of social and uh and you know i'd like to you know like i do what i can over there right you know I donate it for a bit and and i'd like to think that in some sort of post think future you know i'll I'll focus my entrepreneurial kind of you know efforts not just sort of funds to uh to something that's more of a social cause uh or environmental it's kind of been more of a concern of mine recently uh, but really, a lot of it is just around uh, about drive. Um, so yeah, I don't think there was like one answer. It was like that's why I also sort of said I, my my decision initially was to start another startup, you know. And then you know the the space which I'm super passionate about and, and really care about was the decision of of, of what to do next. Um, and I do it. It is also addictive. So you know, it has. <laughs> Like, uh, same like gambling attitudes, you know, like the highs are really high, but the lows are really low. But like after a while, the human brain is sort of wired to forget the lows and remember (laughs) the high. Uh, and so serial entrepreneurship is a thing, you know, people come back to it because it's almost like you want to get your fix. You know, the successes are really high. And when you're, when you're comfortable, you're like, you're not getting those buzzes. You know, I, my mom's a psychologist and she says uh she has this Freud quote that uh says there's no growth without pain. Um, you know I, sure I feel that right? you're comfortable, you're not growing, right? You're not learning. And I, I always want to uh to be learning to be sort of challenging. So and a, a bit of a ramble, but you know,
0: this is No, uh, I appreciate the nuanced you know, answer to a, a nuanced nuance question. question <laughs> uh, no, it's not a simple, straightforward um answer and like i said i mean there's easier ways to make uh money for sure so it has to be a bit more intrinsic and i think you're definitely not a ramble more more of a, a thoughtful response um that covers the various aspects of what goes into a person such as yourself who is um driven to take on those challenges and that responsibility you know it's, it's a very difficult thing sorry Seth, that i interrupt you? Again. No, I was
1: just I was just gonna say uh, it's something similar, right? Like as far as um you know starting up new things and trying to make your almost like your mark, right? Uh, like I, I think that's that's felt by a lot of people that are like like in this path, right? There's definitely easier ways to just go about living, I think, yeah. right? um no, i mean I know, I know in general i mean ken and i have both been involved in smaller companies that are more startupy and you know trying to run my own thing is definitely a different like anxiety level but also exactly what you're saying like there's a lot of pain and growth that goes into it because it's i mean it's it, yeah it's just a hard thing to do in general but then also it's very rewarding um
2: yeah, 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 help people out to do that. The same coin, like you can't have it, right? Like you can't be comfortable and yet be, you know, challenged. like it's a continuum, you know, and you can choose where you want to be on it, you know, and I, mm-hmm. it's not that I like being in the lows, you know, like those moments are a little bit hard. Like I remember uh, at Blaze at some point we, you know, we were doing well, you know, this is the, the web performance company and we we're doing well. And uh, um, and I even was using the joke at the time, Google is kind of distracted. Google Analytics disrupted the sort of analytics industry somewhat, and I was sort of joking. So, well, like unless Google comes out and sort of launches a product that does what we do for free, you know, fine. And then Google goes off and launches a product that does what we do for free, which was sort of more speed, it was like an open source project. And you have to remind yourself like, listen, you know, they haven't, it's not that Google pivoted to do what you do, right? You know, they have a couple of people, smart people, they do the thing. You know, there's pros and cons and you pivot from it. But I remember those as like dark days, you know, like a few days, just recover from the shock, you know, for it. And, but at the same time, you also remember the highs and at the end of the, like, I I think it doesn't have to be entrepreneurship. Like I see my, my sister who I adore is kind of devoting her life pretty much to these social struggles, right? Like she went to run away. from, she's in Israel, you know, there's a lot of challenge over there. She went to live with her husband in Berlin, and she found herself there with a refugee problem, sort of helping though. She went to Backpack in Mexico, and she found herself in the Chiapas with the oppressed farmers there. that are sort of being those, and went to Argentina, and you know what do you know? She's with the desempleados, the sort of the uh, the unemployed communities after the financial crisis, and the, uh, So like sometimes these sort of drives and this discomfort that you do around making your impact is is uh, founders and sort of economical, and sometimes it's just about worries that that you invest your uh, uh your your cycles, right? And I I kind of look at it and I'd say you know all in all, impact on the world, she's probably making more than I am know even if uh, the daughters are, are more kind to me
0: um, yeah so, yeah so. It, it seems like it's a, a thing of you know just being sort of a, almost I don't want to say restless like um, but yeah kind of just being because there's definitely and there's you know hey everybody lives their life differently there's definitely people that are really super content to just sort of nine to five it and they put their energy into whatever other thing and um, but maybe not as much growth and, you know, they're happy with that, but there's definitely a, a like you said, it could be, a, it could be anything. It could be yeah. anything that you are pushing yourself outside your, um, yeah. limits or limits you yeah. previously thought you had. And then, yeah.
2: One of the, one of the, um, one of the advantages of doing it sort of a second time around or sort of with some more comfort is that you get to, uh, there's maybe two key advantages. One is you have a little bit more rope. So you can, um, um, you can add things that are not at the core about how is it that you want the company to look like, uh, or you can kind of aim higher in terms of changes. So like this developer route that we took, I think is very much a part of it, right? You know, this, you know, a couple of years in we had practically no revenue. And if it wasn't for my kind of background and my, uh, you know, like people believing in in sort of, you know, the fact that I can get there because because of the track record, I think it would have been hard but really it was all around this sort of developer adoption and sort of getting those and we had great usage but we didn't have any revenue and i think it's hard to do that when you're not you know you didn't sort of get some credit so i think that helped us out you know so you, you get a little bit more there you know the other example of that would be the um um you know the sort of the culture of the company you know when i when i went back to security i was I was concerned, right? Because like you go to Velocity and, and you're like, uh, Velocity is like one of those sort of DevOps conferences and you know, rally events and um, and you come back and you're kind of like, you know, everybody's singing Kumbaya and we can make the web better and sort of, you know, this like uh, energized, you know, the world can be better type motion. Then you come back from Black Hat and you kind of want to roll up and <laughs> cry, right? Like there's no, uh, uh, it's a little bit more like nothing is safe, everything is broken, you know? There's no, there's not nothing that's going to help you on the, yeah. Uh, and and it's not you know like I don't say this to the detriment. It's just kind of a little bit the nature of the industry. Uh, and so when we set out to to build uh to build Sneak, you know, like a lot of my focus was on saying, well, I don't want that to be my life, you know. So we want to be builders, not breakers. And it came into all these like manifestations in the company. is like a, our severity colors, you know, like on one hand we wanted to be a builder, not a breaker. We didn't want the design of the websites to be um, alarming. You know, it wasn't about fear mongering. We want to be welcome. And yet when I tell you you have a high severity vulnerability, you need to be a little bit alarmed. You know, like there needs to be like a little bit of like an impetus for. Uh, so, you know, every one of these balances, we found this magenta color for our, you know, this kind of purple out of the, uh, you know, for, for a snake, you know. There's just a bunch of these different like decisions around those trade-offs. Uh, and I think I think that's happening. Like I think the sort of the, whether you call it devsecops or, you know, whatever sort of the security, embracing into DevOps is also trying to sort of embrace the culture, right? The sort of the builder, the sharing, the blameless, it's hard, it's hard to do it in security, but, um, but I think it's manifesting. Um, and then I would sort of say last, which is like this comment on, on working hard. Like I work hard. I worked hard at Akamai as well. I worked hard at IBM and, um, work life balance is a decision, you know, like I, I have a six thirty to nine p m blocked off on my calendar and I go back home and I have dinner with my kids and I'm oftentimes back at the computer at nine uh, but uh, but uh, you manage it right you know and uh, so I know those, those are all like privileges a little bit of second time around right you have a little bit more knowledge of what you want to do and a little bit more rope to uh to uh to choose <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. yeah, you're armed with certainly more knowledge,
1: yeah, yeah. now. now- so from a sneak perspective like okay so we've kind of talked about you know building the company and the choice between developer or like developer focused for versus security focused. let's talk a little bit about the actual like SCA like the software composition analysis how you settled on that um, I mean because I the first time I ran into sneak I think it was it was again through developers right It was a company that was using it and it was very node focused. Um, But at the time, you were expanding out into other languages, right? And I know, like, one of the big ones was Go because it wasn't supported by, you know, the other, like, dependency check or other, like, SCA tools that were out there at the time. But uh, talk to me a little bit about that process, right? So why SCA? Um, What was it that you kind of, like, what what brought you to that versus, you know, some of the other vulnerability analysis that you had done in the past?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, so two things. One is um, um, uh, SCA fits, like, you know, because we started with that sort of developer experience and we thought about a few pro- paths, but uh, it, I know which which of my two things is really the first. They're both important. So, uh, but, and we felt SCA was just the space that was, that we can build a good developer experience about it, right, you can build very fast scan it can be wholly accurate. And then you know, we had to build capabilities on top of it that weren't obvious in the industry around giving you the developer experience. And we've evolved those. We built like, um, uh, for instance, like application context, Right, like most tools will tell you, hey, you're using library C and it's vulnerable, go fish. And we'll go figure out how to get there, right? Well, we will give you an application context, not an artifact context that will tell you, you're using A that uses B that uses C uh and, and, and therefore is vulnerable or the automated remediation there's been a lot of learnings you know on 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 building a good um developer experience right and we can dig a little bit into that i think it's an interesting topic um but but we felt like sea is a space that we that we can that is more disposed you know more predisposed to uh to a good developer experience than say static analysis the second bit was uh, what I now know to phrase is the growth of the scope of the app. Um, so when you look at application security, there's kind of the the old application security scope, which is what we've kind of grown up in, right? And I definitely have, which is you have this like very hefty IT stack, right? You've got your sort of, you know, hardware maybe and some vSphere cloud platform. You've got VMs, you've got network configurations. There's some database, you know, some Oracle databases that some team maintains. And then the app is like the code and the libraries that are sort of on top. Right, so the scope of the app is kind of smaller. When you look at the modern app, the modern app has a whole bunch of this like, what I've, I don't have a good name for it, but it's this app-led infrastructure. So a bunch of these things, like the, the VMs have turned into containers and now the operating system is in the scope of the app. You know, The database has gone into like this MongoDB thing that you pull into your microservices now, and now it's in the scope of the app, right? The network config you know, and, and, uh, and, and the service mesh or, or just simple sort of Helm chart and you know, or, like, how they interact has moved into the scope of the app. So like, th- there's all this like world of, of, of functionality that has moved from IT or sort of infrastructure into the app. Uh, and, and with that, the security concern of, of that have also moved into the app. So the sphere of AppSec, you know, like this absolute AppSec is grown. It's just more, more is app, and therefore more sec is AppSec uh, and, uh, and those areas require special attention because they are security problems that not only are they so that of, they need to move to developers, they're also new security problems. So it felt like open source security had that type of property, and then container security, which we tackle today, sits in that as well. And and there's there's more. Like we you know we build more capabilities around this sort of dev first security mindset, but this space of of the bits of infrastructure that have moved into the app and are now used in abundance by many more people, uh, the secu- having tools to secure them is something that people just generally didn't have in place. They might have the OS dependency check, right, or uh, you know Black yeah. Deck, which is very non-developer friendly, uh, and, uh, uh, and and so on. So, you know, we're basically writing both waves, right, and and. Can- has, has demonstrated that as well, right? we get like math optional of container security. It's again, it's it's a combination of, it need to be embraced by dev, so the DevSecOps trend and the specific security threat that is sort of growing in prevalence.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that's a, it, it's a smart place to be for sure, right? Like as far as where the industry has grown with, with DevOps coming up, it, it seems like you are very well placed to, to, to bridge that gap between developers and what was traditionally IT. Um, so the container one, I, I'll be interested to see how that grows in the near future As you know, because I know there's a number of players in there right now as well, right? There's yeah. just, it seems like everybody wants to build their own, you know, container security solution and they all differ a little bit. Um, so. Yeah. And we think, I think
2: container security is a, uh, you know, we, we try to be sort of our 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 guardrails. You know, like our own guardrails to not be. Uh, I like to say that you know we're at a good place right now. It's Nathan. We can do anything, but we can't do everything. You know, like we yeah. have to choose. You know, some some lines. And so, our guardrails is very much about it. if a developer is in the loop. You know, it's sort of fair game for us to sort of engage not all the what not all the things that developers touch, but like you know many of them. But if it's the container security aspect that is like endpoint protection you know, malware detection, detection attacks, you know, if the if the result of a, of a finding goes to the SOC, you know, goes to, uh, then that's kind of not our turf. So we might veer a little bit, we might round out some functionality, but our core in container security is about the developer experience, right? It's about saying, you know, that, that you know, again, that your sort of Docker file sits in a repository and that patching a container means running a build. And therefore, like, you know, these things are developer domain and we need to be in that, uh, um, like we we provided the optimal self self stated little bit, yes. right? a experience you know for uh, for that uh, aspect of it. So I think container security a lot of these things, like I, I think a lot of security in the modern stack would either go to the platform or go to developers. That's my prediction. you know like yeah. you know, old, they, they can't be a third party. and security needs to become. AppSec the security professionals need to become more security SREs. Need to become more DevOps-like enablers, service providers, expertise holders for you know, for basically app teams for developers to be able to 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 embed and implement.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I can honestly say so. I, you know, I work at GitHub on the, the the AppSec team, and I actually completely agree with that because um, I found more of my role uh, like we we do secure code reviews and you know we do your traditional stuff but definitely been more of the uh, we've been more involved in just like design implementation architecture um enabling like you said like okay uh you want to do service to service off here's like some guidelines and some libs we've put together and you know become more of like uh more more, almost embedded with new features and new apps being put online as a uh, more of a resource that, that we can make developers can ask questions pull us in on, on a pull request and get some input you know it's less so like here look at this code come back in two weeks tell me everything you found which yeah. again we still do but it's uh, I don't know it's shifting I feel like it's shifting anyways maybe it's just how I feel, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I've, I feel like I've spent a lot more time just embedded with different teams. Yeah, um, yeah. which is- I think that,
1: yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Kai. Uh,
0: I, I would just say that
2: like, you know, this is like any change, it's not an overnight change, right? Like there's um, there's this like uh, sort of constant tightening circle of, of like a culture shift technology and sort of people embracing it, you know, and the and, and sort of the processes around it, right? So like you need to be iterating. So you can't overnight like you'd be broken uh, if you if you shift it over, right? Um, so so I think as 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 the pace of development accelerates, as the platforms, the amazing platforms that are sort of coming out, and open source and you know a bunch of these other technologies around help developers move faster and faster, more and more decisions are being made at any moment and just it's just it's a fail it's a losing battle to think that any entity outside is going to be able to cope so we have to teach them to fish on one hand you know like there has to be that notion of like you know culture uh and and for that you need empathy. So being embedded with a team kind of helps you. It's a core tenant of DevOps, you know, like being embedded in, in different uh, teams, just build empathy to uh to to the difficulties and challenges on the other side. And you need technology, you need to be enablers. And you know, I'm 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 thrilled with GitHub is investing in, in security. Like I think it's right. I think the world sort of needs to move there. Uh and I think the likelihood of a developer tooling company building security capabilities, developer love is just unfortunately you know higher than the likelihood of the security company sort of building developer uh, uh, sort of the tools that developers love and and you know the whole industry kind of needs to shift but our job is as vendors you know like our job is as tools providers is to make it easy you know there's like how much you care and there's how much how hard is it you know to uh, to do the right thing and and every every developer like there's a cynicism that developers don't care about security you know it's like Find me a developer that, for the same level of effort, you know, can choose to build uh, uh, a product that is secure or a product that is not secure. Like you wouldn't find one that prefers the product that is not secure. It's just how hard is it, right? So, so we're going to elevate how much you care, but really, what we've done at sneak and what I think we should do as an industry is drop how hard it is. It just needs to be easy. It needs to be easy, uh, and uh, and so it has to be. It's a whole motion, you know, of uh, of the industry. Uh, to shift it and uh, it's not an overnight, like even like DevOps, we talk about it as like a, 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 an established thing, you know, it's just so early in in its adoption.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. I was just gonna no, say, Seth, traditional security companies, I mean, to, to Guy's point, security first tooling vendors ha- like have had issues Trying to fit into like the new way of how we do things, and so like for instance, you'll see these companies who had this who, who went who went who built their tools based off a previous model that just really doesn't exist much anymore, um, and and then they they built like plugins for CI CD or something like that. They're like, oh, yeah. well, you know, yeah, no, we're 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 DevOps now. We we have a plugin for like Jenkins or something, you know, like that. Um, and yeah developer first companies, I feel like our position is better to understand that things are and to your point again, is like uh I can honestly say our team's dealt more with infrastructure security than ever before because of code code uh as, sorry infrastructure as code and um and we've talked about this before, but I think what it will be interesting to see is like you know obviously with cloud and and code as infrastructure um where security like how much what what next will appsec basically uh cover you know like as we are taking in more responsibilities for more things because of code pushing so much of this like what will be the next thing i mean obviously serverless has been talked about quite a bit um i don't know i don't deal a whole lot with serverless so i'm not sure you know what challenges that'll present um i yeah, I mean, Seth, I don't know what your thoughts are on where maybe things will go or, a Guy, where your thoughts are uh, in 2020.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> You're asking me to predict the future? Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let Guy do that. Um. I mean, I definitely, th- like, I see more and more serverless, but then I also, like, as a consultant, I I continually get pulled back into the world of, you know, Java struts, right, from 25 <laughs> years ago. So I, like... I have this like this cynicism that, yeah, it's great. So I deal with a new company. I deal with like, we've had people from Netflix and segment and, you know, GitHub and now sneak on the podcast and you guys are pushing into this world. And then I turn around and you know, the next thing I'm dealing with is something that we solved 20 years ago, but there's still companies that haven't come along. So I think what Guy was saying as far as, Hey, it's very context, uh, yeah, it, it's very very much based on the business context, right? Yep. Um yep. and where they're coming from. And I even see new code that comes out of uh developers that were tw- trained 20 years ago and they're like a development organization team that hasn't hasn't ever upgraded their processes. So they may be using a new version of Java Spring and Java Spring Boot, but they're using the same development patterns and waterfall methodology that they used 20 years yes. ago and it still works. It's just, that's what the yep. business is paying for. So I have a hard time saying, uh, yeah, it's all it's all going serverless. Cause I do see serverless and I, I, I don't want to discount that but that's still not the majority of companies that I deal with. So well, I don't I think, know, Guy, what about you, right? Like the companies that are-
2: because I think very much, you know, like this, this to me comes back to that realization from Node.js. You know, it's like, okay, hold on, you know, like you, you, you buy, you know, like we built an amazing product for sort of Node.js security, and then you know, security people, smart, you know, super intelligent, doing the right thing for security people. But I can't buy this. I can't buy this until you support a broader piece of my stack, and I might need to buy that other shallow product that at least gives me coverage across it because it's not practical for me to sort of have. You know, just over here and some degree, but not that many. So, you know, I think for sneak what we see is that companies buy sneak for the future, but then they expect us yeah. to the past, you know, and, and 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 that's that's kind of our premise. So we have you know a CLI and an API. Cli gets, you know, the command line if I get like a million dollars a month, you know, it's very widely used. And it's the Swiss Army Knife. And you can use it in any context, you know, and, and it adjusts those. And then we have opinionated integrations into the likes of, you know, GitHub and Jenkins and Bitbucket and and Kubernetes. Uh, and and for those, we try to embed the best practices inside our our methodology and try to make it even easier, right? Because the, the challenge with the, sort of the CLI, the Swiss Army Knife, is that more weight goes to you, you know, like yeah. more weight goes on to... Uh, and, and we find... You know, fundamentally, I think security would remain a little bit, a little bit of an overlay uh, because of that history, right? Because as an organization, you want to track it. And unlike many other things, you know, it, it is, it is something that, uh, unlike unlike many other dev tools, you know, you can't really, as an organization, only address this problem in like this slice or that slice of the world, right? There are some exceptions to that, like you know, containers. Clearly, you only care about it in the app use containers. You know, that's the natural. But when you deal with a threat, you do need it to be broad. You do need it to be kind of across the the the, the stack that we that you use. So um, so so I think it's sort of like um it's not like monitoring or or even monitoring. I think is something that's more sort of app oriented. Uh, but uh, but even then, you'd have some capabilities. If I sort of look at monitoring as an example, you'd have some capabilities built into every one of those. But then there's value in using a new relic or a data dog that that is sort of across the board and is deeper, right? Like it's a best of breed within an ecosystem, and it's the breadth uh, across across the board. So I think that's what we'll see. We'll see dev tools across the board. You know, GitHub is doing this. GitLab is doing it. uh, um, You know, like other other tools are sort of you know introducing owner source kind of introducing a SaaS capability. We see there's like there will be more security capabilities that come out of existing kind of tools and accessible platforms. And then there will be kind of deep breadth uh, solutions for us. And you know we we aim to be that, right? Like we aim to be where a security solution, you know, we we will thrive just like Datadog has thriving customers that use AWS CloudWatch. You know, we will, yeah. you know, thriving customers that also use you know, for that sort of slice and for, for an element of it, whatever you get some security alerts, right? In the in those comments, so it's always a little bit uh, finicky when you get into an actual customer and there's a salesperson on both sides, and you know you have that conversation. But when you take your head a little bit outside of the of the trenches and you sort of look at the picture, you know, you ex- like a market doesn't just transition. You know, there's exceptions. There's like Slack, you know, <laughs> but but yeah. generally speaking, you know, like you need an industry to shift. Not a uh, not an individual. And you know serverless is is a bit of that, you know, and or, or any of these trends you know really that are uh, moving forward.
1: yeah interesting. I don't know. i like I did want to go back to one thing that you were talking about, uh, from the um, from the perspective of security needs to make the barrier to entry lower, right? Uh, for developers. Um, and, and this is one point that's come up a couple of times on the podcast, I think Jerry Gamblin, or maybe it was Leaf that actually brought it up previously was that if you have a security tool that a developer can't go and just do self-service signup for, it's never gonna happen, right? Like they've gotta be able to go try something out without committing thousands and thousands of dollars and hours to using a product, which is, which is one of the things that security products struggle with, right? Like yep. if I wanna go buy AppScan source, I can't just go buy AppScan source, right? I have to go through like procurement and I have to get on calls. They have to demo it for me. Even yeah. though I'm a professional, I'm in the field and, and I struggle across the board with static analysis tools because of this fact, right? I can't just go pay a credit card, get a license and go. It's this whole kind of sales process that we've built around it. And and part of me realizes that, that, that the security industry or the vendors view these as high value tools, but there's gotta be a way to demo something or to do something that's not, that doesn't involve. Yeah, like it's just a pet peeve of, I know quite a few developers in the industry is it's just like, really, I'm gonna come use your tool. You make it so hard to even buy it that why am I gonna go through this when I can go to someone and give, you know, and self register, put in a credit card and then it expands, right?
2: Yeah, I think I think a lot of that is DNA, but there's also two other factors that play in. One is is um, the tools are hard to get going. So mm-hmm. so you know, on the assumption that that you want someone like self serve is not just about making the software accessible. It's around actually changing the product to be easy to get going with without somebody holding your hand. Yep. Uh, and so many of these tools don't fit that description. So so you have to go hand in hand, right? So so if, if you could just download the trial and get going, I haven't checked AppScon source for a good while. So I don't want to sort of uh disavow, but I, I assume that if you just sort of got going and and did next next next, you know, in many contexts it wouldn't give you the results that you're looking for. So they want that. Um and then the 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 second aspect of it is the um is is kind of this audit mindset, right? You know, it's basically you know, developer tools, you know, Sneak specifically, I don't mind, like a number of people abusing Sneak right now to do a, an audit is, you know, high. like I hear anecdotal evidence. We really don't track this at all, you know, of people coming along and doing an audit with Sneak. But Sneak's true value is continuous usage. So mm-hmm. I don't mind, you know, I don't care. But if my true value, you know, if my offering was around one-off audits, then it's a concern, right? It's this concern that somebody would go up and they would write, download an eval version every time, you know, and they would sort of run uh, those. And then you find yourself constraining the product in a way that is not actually usable. So, like, why are you giving me this? Like, I'm not going to have a good experience. So, wh- what have you done? And there's this sort of vicious loop uh, that uh, that goes on that just sort of gets you to the point where where you don't do it. So, I'm not really justifying, but I'm just saying that there's more there's more to it than the vendor, than, you know, whatever, HCL now, sort of deciding to just Open up and say, "Hey, you can download Appscan for without talking to anybody."
1: Yeah, yeah, would, which I, I mean, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. And, and actually, the second point that you made there is, you know, is is pretty interesting. Like, what the revenue source is for that tool? Uh, it probably drives a lot of it um, because, yeah. yeah, I mean, it would be easy to go download something. I, you know, you see that with community editions as well um nessus and some of those other tools that people go down and they use those and uh, so it's kind of deciding where that value sits and how you can promote the tool by by allowing developers and others to use it in that way without and still getting like that expertise or the the higher level value out of it by engaging and actually paying right so so i get
2: it you know, like I think it's important to say that your experience is the bottom line the only one that matters because all of these justifications, all of these excuses and all this rationale doesn't matter the fact that you're frustrated by it, right? And you're a pro. Uh, yeah. And there's no way that somebody who is not sufficiently motivated. You know, who cares a lot? It comes back to that sort of how hard it is and how much you care, right? Who cares a lot, right? They will go through. And, and this is like security economics as a whole, right? You know, this is uh, this notion. I have this talk titled Security Economics, and it talks about how, you know, people disavow. There's all these horrendous statistics about people pushing through certificates, you know, like uh, warnings and things like that. And it's like, hey, when I, my motivation right now, you know, if I'm browsing Facebook, I want to see baby pictures and nothing you're going to do is going to get in my way, right? Like, you know, just prompt whatever it is you know, like if I browse the website, I'm gonna accept the cookies. Of course I'm gonna accept the cookies. I wanna browse the website, that's what I wanna do right now. Uh, yeah. And so, like a lot of these things are, are just about that balance, right? So if you're willing as a business to sort of narrow yourself to just the people that are, that care so much that would go through these hoops, uh, then you can build a business, a lot of successful businesses built that way. But if you wanna to go to developers, if you wanna to go to the, to the masses, if you wanna to go to people that want to be secure, but but that's not most of their being you know like that's not you know to, to a level <laughs> um then then you have to lower the barrier
1: yeah yeah and i yeah i mean from a like i would i wish that more would push that way right and i do see it from some of the newer uh like like tools like sneak right um or even breakman right from justin collins and some of those other static analysis tools like pumascan and, uh, those those guys are so focused on kind of the developer side of things that they've made it really easy to go and pull down a license and you know try something out as opposed to kind of that old stayed you know they've been around for twenty five years and it's gone you know it was purchased by AppScan and da 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 or purchased by IBM and so. I don't know. I, I like I think we see the ind- industry shifting for sure uh, because we are talking about it we're talking about the fact that the developers don't want to use those tools because of those facts, right? I yeah. like I don't I mean uh, yeah. I know you know CK Trick here. I know Ken that actually uses quite a few tools on his side, but from a GitHub perspective you guys are very similar, right? Like you're not going out and purchasing a large no.
0: No, yeah, no, similar. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yep. And yeah, and it's
0: just—I
2: think it'll happen. There's a bit of a do-or-die type element, right? You can you can use your timeline, but in whatever twenty years time, right? To make up a slightly further-out horizon. You know, I think um, some security tools, like threat intelligence, or you know, like some security tools would still be oriented at the individual. But this notion of security hygiene at scale—you know, this notion of 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 tools that need to be embedded, need to be intrinsic into the the surrounding. Uh, of the developer or someone where security isn't their primary job, it's a it's a property of their job. Um, <laughs> I think all of those tools need to become you know embedded, easy, self serve, you know, and all that jazz. Um, yeah. Otherwise, they won't thrive, right? You know they they just will uh, die.
1: Yep. Cool. Yeah. Let's see. I, we have been going for an hour. We want to be cognizant of your time, guy, because so, we appreciate you coming on.
2: Yeah, I can go maybe a few more minutes, but uh, okay. Uh, I've so got ha-
0: probably a thousand business-related questions I could ask you, so uh, I, you know, this this could go on forever, but we won't do that to you.
1: Um, yeah, so I mean, I mean, as far as kind of wrapping things up, um, you know, uh, Ken already asked kind of what was what you see for the future, so we'll we'll leave that one for now. Um, if people want to interact with you or you know meet you face to face, where could they? Where can they find you?
2: Um, I guess we're kind of towards the end of the sort of the conference season, right? I feel like every week I was at some event. You know, you're more likely to find me at a dev event than you are at a security event. Um, you know, my next one is Reinvent, uh, uh, okay, in uh, the AWS event. Um, and yeah, I don't have an exact sort of structure. You know, uh, you know, uh, a plan for uh, for the week, but basically, you know, the big kind of cloud events, container. I was just at KubeCon. so those are the events. Okay. Our team—you can find us, you know, mostly at sort of AppSec events and at, uh, you know, kind of big Dev and DevOps uh, engagements. Uh, And uh, yeah, we try to be on a bunch of meetups as well. So if you check out, I think there's a—I actually need to vet this. I think there was like a snick.io slash events uh, where folks from the team are at. uh, See if that's still uh, still the case. Yeah, here we go. Um, And we also. so we run, we bought uh, DevSecon, there's a whole bunch of things we didn't talk about the secure developer and DevSecon. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, um, so uh, so as a company, we bought DevSecon and we're continuing to run it as a community conference so sort of as a as a, uh, a multi, uh, uh, just of a, a platform to share and collaborate and bring indeed that culture shift and and uh, uh, and perspective into it. So the DevSecon uh, events is definitely a place to meet me and definitely a lot of our our crew. Um, and you can listen to some of my other ramblings or really more my guests' uh, content at uh, the Secure Developer
1: uh, podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and we appreciate that one as well. I mean, we, Ken and I came on, or we were on Secure Developer, it was a few months ago, did a, a session on secure code review, right? Same kind of thing. And that's a that's a great resource as well. So I appreciate you guys putting that on. You know, it takes all of us, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's all about collaboration and sharing and it's hard in security, but we got to try, you know. That, yeah.
1: That's the way it works. Cool. Well, good. Uh and Ken did post your tw- your Twitter handle there so uh, yep. people can find I, you I there,
2: easily found on on the web.
1: Guy Pod, awesome. All right. Um well, yeah, again, Guy, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, and thank you for your time and your explanations and you know, Let us know if there's anything we can do from our side, but we do, we definitely see you guys around, right? AppSec Day down in Australia. I think we saw the booth and talked to the guys for a second, but appreciate you and all that you're doing. Uh, Ken, do you have anything else for us today? No, just thank you
0: uh, to Guy and thank you to the listeners for also attending and watching. Cool. Well,
1: thanks cool. a lot. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a nice day. Thanks. bye